Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a declaration. Great is his faithfulness. And uh, we rejoice in that together here today. And I invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and you can turn with me to the book of 1 John. We're continuing our study through 1 John and walking together in what it means to know Jesus. And we've seen all manner of ways in which we have walked in this scene, the delight of what it means to know Jesus, talking about Jesus as the Word of life, and Jesus as light, and Jesus as our propitiation, and our advocate, and the expressions of His love, and the family reminders, and we even talked about discerning with right uh, doctrine last week. And so, in talking about all these things, and where we find ourselves today, and also thinking about just how this connects with where we are in society, maybe even in life, it's nice to have a place where you feel like you can just stay a while, right? Hopefully you have that place in your house. Maybe it's that well-worn chair that you've got that you know whenever you get there, that's where you're going to go. That's where you're going to stay a while. We're like this about different places. Maybe you have a favorite vacation spot and whenever you get there, you're like, man, I could stay here for a while. You enjoy it. Maybe it's something about gathering at a barbecue restaurant or something. You get all that laid out in front of you and you think, I'm glad this is going to take a while. It's nice to have things to abide in, to remain in, to reside in, and to just slow down long enough to enjoy. And as we come into God's Word here today, and we find ourselves even broadly within the context of talking about discerning and really emphasizing at this point about abiding in the truth, what we're going to see is that abiding in the truth leads to the enjoyment of the promises of God. And that abiding in the truth also leads us to avoid deception. So grab your copy of God's Word. Read with me, if you will, 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22 and read down through verse 27. So read with me, if you will. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 22, says this. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in Jesus together. And Father, by the work of your Spirit at work through your Word, you would give us clarity of mind, that you would remove the distractions around us, the distractions of our own difficulties, the distractions of our own minds, that we would be able to focus and fix our eyes on you, and that the light of your truth would expose our need for you, and Father, we would know Jesus and enjoy him forever. Father, stir our hearts with great expectation of what you're going to do in this moment as we walk together in your word. 
And we ask all of this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we look at verse 22, and really as we jump right back in here, he really starts off with a bang, you might say. Because he just says flat out, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Who is the liar? Now that is a really good question, isn't it? Because that's really something that we are always trying to sort out in all manner of different places. If you've ever gone to a car dealership looking for a used car, you're thinking to yourself, who's the liar? We're like this all the time about all manner of different things. Whenever you answer the phone and you don't recognize the number, you're starting to wonder the very same thing. Maybe when you're watching the news and you're thinking about the the story and you're trying to unpack where it came from, and well, we're always constantly trying to figure out who is telling us the truth. And how much more crucial for us to understand this biblically and theologically, who is telling us the truth about real life and real hope and real love and real grace? How are we going to sort this out? Well, the clarity of the position comes from doctrinal clarity concerning Jesus. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And of course, we've said it before and we've seen this word Christ over and over again, with, even within 1 John. And that's a reference It's the Greek word that's used for the Hebrew word Messiah, that he's the anointed one. He's the one who fulfills the three anointed offices of the Old Testament. He's the full and final revelation of the truth in the prophet. He is the high priest, the one through whom we have access to the Father. And he is our King, our Lord. He has fulfilled that. That all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. And then in order for that to be true, not only do we acknowledge him as the Christ, but to be the Christ, he has to be the Son of God. And with absolute clarity, here it is, we're being warned and told that those who point people to look for hope and life in anyone, in anywhere other than Jesus, are lying to you. It's darkness and futility and weariness of constantly trying to figure it out your own way, of constantly trying to navigate your own way out, not acknowledging the light of God himself that calls us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And maybe as you read this, maybe you acknowledge this is you. And you need someone to give you a straight answer, to not tiptoe around it, but to just say, here's The facts of the matter. He says this is the Antichrist. This is the one who's opposed in in the direct opposition. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And the word deny is to disavow. To completely repudiate. To have no association with it whatsoever. Now there are times in life where we do this in other ways. When you go on a diet, you're trying to deny yourself the donut. You're trying to disavow any association with it. I don't want anything to do with that. When we're we, you know, involved in sports, there, when you have your team, there are certain colors that you will avoid like the plague. I'm not going to say. But you already know. 
But see, there are so many people like this with the Father and the Son. With that same sort of visceral response that we can have in those moments to a much more magnified degree, denying the Father. Perhaps denying His existence. Maybe not denying His existence, or maybe they're just denying His significance. Maybe denying any benefit of knowing Him whatsoever. Or denying the Son. Denying the necessity that it to- our sin is bad enough. That we sin against the righteous and holy God and it requires the Son of God to come in the flesh and die in our place in order for, have to, for us to have forgiveness and a reconciled relationship with God himself. Denying the necessity of who he is. Denying the fullness of his identity. Denying the majesty and the glory of Jesus. It's as though with clarity and discernment we're being looked straight in the eye. Look at what you lose in denying the Father and the Son. There are many people when you ever you make big decisions, right? You'll, maybe you, in a business world, you're doing a cost and benefit analysis. Maybe in your own you know, personal world, you, you're doing the old school pro-con list, right? You, draw, you get your piece of notebook paper, you draw a line in the middle. What is it that you're losing? In denying Him. Depriving yourself of forgiveness and life and hope and light and assurance and love and grace and mercy and fellowship. So he's looking at, at us today. The Holy Spirit calling us, saying, Don't abide in lies, abide in the truth. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. What do you believe about Jesus? That's the crucial question, isn't it? Because to refuse or to repudiate Jesus, to deny one is to deny both. You cannot turn doctrinal truth into your own personal buffet. But many try. Where you walk in, you get your plate, you get in line, and you say, I'll carve off a piece of this, and I'll carve off a piece of that. You get what you want, and you leave the rest. And inevitably what happens is what happens when any of us go to a buffet. We get more than what we need of what we don't more than what we, uh, on our plate, of what we don't need, and we don't get the things that we do need. You get six pieces of fried chicken, and somehow nothing green ever made it to the plate. Inevitably, when people turn doctrinal clarity into a buffet, this exact same thing happens. And it's like with absolute clarity saying, don't do this. Take him as he is. As he's revealed himself, don't simply try to just get what you want out of him. That's not having him at all. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. And denial takes a whole bunch of different forms. Denying of his identity, which he's already addressed here. Denying of his accomplishment and the finished and the ongoing work of Christ and him being our propitiation where he endures the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. And that's through faith in him that we are saved and forgiven and reconciled. Denying the necessity of his resurrection. You have no claim to the Father without Jesus the Son. It's exactly out of the words of Jesus himself, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only hope that anyone can have in facing the Father is Jesus Christ, the Son. And that to deny him is like a convicted criminal denying payment for redemption and the benefit of the advocate and saying, I'm going to take my chances on my own. You don't want to face the Father without the Son. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Listen to how merciful this is. It's an open invitation. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your background may be, Whatever providentially led you to the sound of this text here this morning, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And to confess is not merely to articulate the words with your mouth, but to fully endorse Him, to cast yourself upon Him, to admit your sin, and to cast yourself upon the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. To agree, to look at Jesus, His life, his death, his resurrection, and say, he did that for me. And then in doing so, not only do you have the Son, but you have the Father also. And to have the Father is not only personal and just a communal family connection there, but also to be connected with what it means to be his child. Adopted into the family of faith. Heirs with Christ. And it's all Grace, it's all freely given by our God of grace. If nothing else, we can look at this in this call to abide in the truth and just enjoy the clarity of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. He's speaking with clarity that most of us do not have. And as we think and assess our own lives... What about you? When you look at Jesus and you think of who he is and what he's done, are you trying to turn a true-false question into an essay answer? Give all the reasons why you're going to take this, that, and the other and explain it all away? Or like the centurion that Tim referred to just a moment ago, simply trust him for who he is. And ultimately for what he has done. As we ask the question, well, where do we go from here? Maybe the better question is, well, where do we stay from here? Because verse 24 says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning 
abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. When he says what you've heard from the beginning, he's making reference to the gospel. That for the people who had come to Jesus, right, they were Jew, Gentile, and everything in between, right? You think of that and you think what happened in the beginning is they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That he was sent, he lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, went to the cross, died in our place, endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God in our place, laid down his life, said, it is finished, and three days later rose from the dead. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. It's foundational to everything. We were ruined, we were redeemed, and we were regenerated, and we rejoice in it. Let it abide in you. Simmer long on that. Because there's so many options out there, aren't there? So many distractions and diversions through this narrow road of life and walking with Jesus. It's like we're walking this narrow path and on both sides of the path, constantly there's all these flashing lights and all these billboards promising all these things that they cannot fulfill. And instead of chasing every witch thing that is around us, he's saying, stay where you are. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Never lose your wonder of the gospel. The love of the Father. That even though we sinned against him, even though we said, I don't want anything to do with you, I don't believe in you, I don't want you or anything else in love, he still sent his son to save us. To die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead. Be in absolute amazement. Never let that go away. We have these moments in life, amazing moments. Maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon. You you get out there and you're looking at it. You're like, this is amazing. And you just can't get over it. No picture has ever done it justice. But we've had other moments of awe. You meet your children for the first time. Meet your grandchildren for the first time. When you're standing down at the front of the church and the back door's open and there stands your bride. It's amazing. He says, don't ever lose your awe and wonder at the gospel. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And that to abide in is not only to remain, but also to be in full dependence upon Him. That's how Jesus actually explains abiding in John chapter 15. That in abiding in Him, we are dependent upon Him for every sense of fruitfulness in our own life. And that we draw from Him the strength to make it through the day. We draw from Him His faithfulness and His goodness and His care and His compassion and His love. We abide in Him in the fellowship, in the Son. Not eager for the next thing that we could find on the side of the road, but satisfied in Him. See, so many of us get trapped in this sort of triviality of chasing after the next big thing instead of abiding in the amazement of knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then not only in trusting in Jesus do you have Jesus, but you have the Heavenly Father. 
That whenever you pray, you don't pray to some vague deity out there. In Christ, you say, Abba, Father, Heavenly Father. That when you're in need, you cry out, Daddy, help me. And he comforts. He's with you in your time of need. He's always there with wisdom and strength and gentleness. And when you fall flat on your face, he picks you back up and says, Let's go, son. Let's go, daughter. Let's keep going. He's so brave in his rescue of us. And it's like the more we think about him and we, the more we think about abiding in him and depending upon him in all of our needs and in all of our weakness, the more we enjoy him. You will enjoy knowing Christ the more dependent upon him you are. So cast yourself upon him. Enjoy his promise. As he says it in verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. We all know good and well, promise is only as good as the one who makes it. And we've been acknowledging all morning long of the faithfulness of our God. Who's faithful to his promise. To all who repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, you have eternal life. And as we think about eternal life, we must acknowledge that that is both a present and a future reality. It always helps us to define our terms here. And that in abiding in the Father and in the Son, we enjoy eternal life now, knowing good and well that we will enjoy eternal life in the future. Remember the words of Jesus in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus defines it this way, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God is eternal life. There's so many counterfeits out there. So many false gods. So many things that promise pleasure. So many things that are so passive. So many things that just sort of let things slide. There's gods of money. There's gods of self-righteousness. There's gods of lust. There's gods, a litany of things that you can just sort of hope to, to placate in some way and just go on your merry way and get nothing out of them. It only leads to ruin and despair and destruction. That's not eternal life. But knowing God who is true, who is faithful, who is kind, who is gracious, who is mighty, who provides and cares and guides and leads and shepherds and comforts. And then knowing Jesus as Savior and Redeemer and Friend, that the agent of all creation is the author and finisher of your faith. That you can enjoy this promise right now. Knowing him now and walking in the truth and being glad in repentance on this narrow road of life. That the God who gathers is the God who guides and the God who saves is the God who sustains. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. It is not pursuing our hobbies in heavenly real estate. 
It's knowing him, treasuring him, enjoying him, abiding in him, and enjoying the promise. But see, God is so good to us that even in calling us to enjoy the promise, he's also with such fatherly care and tender guidance leading us to avoid deception. Because he says in verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Like a kind parent, like a good friend, warning. There are those who are trying to deceive you, to lead you on a different path, to lead you to wander to deviate from the narrow road of following Christ, to deviate from the truth in some way, in some little portion. And so to get yourself to ask, did God really say that? And then to walk down that road and to follow along. And this is an admission. This is a a fact of life, an honest assessment of reality. There are many who are actively lying to you. And they're not just calling you on the phone trying to sell you a car warranty that you don't want. It's not just the people who call you at 11 o'clock at night and ask you for your social security number that are lying to you. Although I would include them in the list. Ultimately what he's getting at is that people are lying to you concerning him, concerning Christ trying to deceive you intentionally, theologically. We need an honest assessment of the threats. Not everyone is telling the truth. How are we going to know the difference? Right here. Know the truth. Walk in the truth. Trust in the God who revealed the truth. Popularity is not the gauge for fidelity. We are way past that. It's never been that way. Beware of the deception of distraction to remove the preeminence of Christ from your view. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And maybe you read this, you think, well, how are we going to make it? How are we as believers supposed to respond to this? We're supposed to be confident in the truth and confident in the God who revealed the truth. Because he says in verse 27, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now the anointing that he's talking about, we referred to it last week about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That when a person turns away from their sin and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord, not only are you forgiven, but the Holy Spirit is put inside of you. And that the Holy Spirit, who is also the Spirit of truth, makes application of that truth in you. And so he says, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you anything. He is our confidence. He who moved in, who's never leaving. The God who abides in you. And there's no removing him. He's like kudzu. There's no getting rid of him. 
Amid all the falsehood, there's the spirit of truth with the word of truth, and he abides. And there's so much evidence as he abides in us of his sanctifying work, of our, our, the holiness in our lives and the fruit of the Spirit that's being worked out, all these little signs of life along the way, and it's unstoppable, even in the hardest of circumstances, he abides. He says, there's no need that anyone should teach you. Now, for the sarcastic in the room, Maybe you're thinking, well, what are you doing? Don't worry, I would have been the one asking that question. He's not saying here that the church doesn't need teachers, because in fact, he would be including himself in that, and that would remove the necessity of his entire letter, let alone the entire Bible, which would defeat the whole point. He's not disavowing the need for Sunday school teachers and those to teach, we have so much to learn all along the way. The point is, we don't need a new foundation of basic belief. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. We don't need anything else. We don't need an updated version of the truth. If you hear somebody say, I've got a new gospel for you, they're lying to you. There is only one gospel. And so what we're being led into is to be content in what God provided in His Word and in His Spirit because false teaching often floats on the raft of novelty. And so we abide in the truth. We avoid what is false. The truth of God's Word rightly applied and rightly understood by the work of His Spirit in us. And he says, and as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. His anointing teaches you about everything. Everything? Really? Does God's Word and God's Spirit at work through His Word speak to everything? Yes. In every context? Yes. You can think of all the ways in which we, you know, process this whole thing. In in singleness, in the satisfaction that's found in singleness, and the ministry opportunities that are laid out there, you can think about marriage and the depiction of Christ in the church. You can think about how he sustains and cares for and loves those who are widows, how he's designed the family to function and to operate. Has he spoken concerning all those things? Oh, yes, with absolute clarity. You can think of all of the modern issues, right, of gender, biological sex. There's only two. Male and female, and they go together. You can't bifurcate them and disassemble them and try to make something else. Has he spoken concerning life? Yes. We're created in the image of God. Has he spoken concerning creation and the order of creation and the significance of it? Yes. We're created in the image of God. Has he spoken to young people and adolescent people, adult people, aging people? Yes, he has. Has he spoken concerning our work, that all things should be done to the glory of God? Yes. What about our career? What about all those mundane things that whether we eat or drink, we should do it all to what? To the glory of God. In the midst of our joys, in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our hope, 
all of what he has said concerning himself matters in every case and in every way. He's spoken concerning everything and is true and it's no lie. He's always right. Never leads astray. We know this because of the source. We know this by experience because we've never regretted trusting in him. If you know him, you know as you've trusted in him and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide. Lord, I need your wisdom. I'm going to trust that you provide it. You have lived and watched and seen how faithful he is to do exactly what he has promised. It's amazing the way through life, peace through right now, love through suffering, light through darkness. It's none other than Jesus Christ. Just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer in Christ here this morning, I'll just pause for a second and look back across the landscape of redemption in your own life. Look at how far He has brought you. Have you learned anything? Have you seen how faithful He is? Have you enjoyed the wonders of his steadfast love that endures forever? Where he has cared for you with grace in your worst of moments. Where he has strengthened you when you could not take another step. He has rescued you from the worst forms of darkness. He has redeemed you and taken a story of sorrow and darkness and depravity and turned it into a story of life and grace and truth and love. Where he's provided and sustained and guided. Look at life's renovations. Look at what he has done. Just as it has taught you. And so that as we look back across the landscape of redemption in our own lives, we have every reason to abide. Where else would you want to be? All of a sudden it's like, I don't want to go anywhere. He is the best place to be. He is the life. He is the truth. He is the way. So abide in Him. But before you can abide in Him, you have to make sure you arrive in Him. And maybe you're here this morning and the Spirit of God has convicted you that what you have been living in is just false. You've been abiding in the darkness. You've been loving the darkness rather than the light because your deeds are evil. You know good and well you sinned against a righteous and a holy God and up until this point you didn't care. Because you didn't see any benefit in them anyway. And yet here you are, by the mercy of God, He's opened your eyes to see just what you've been missing out on. Hear me. He's not leaving you there. He's calling you to Himself this morning. Because God in love sent His only Son who's one with Him, who came in the flesh, who lived in perfect righteousness, who was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, fully human, fully God, goes to the cross and dies as a sacrifice for us. Where He endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, against your lust, your pride, 
your hatred, your dishonoring of your parents, your covetousness, all of that. Endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God. Cried out from the cross, it is finished. Died. And three days later rose again. The living Christ is calling you to life in Him. Don't abide in the darkness anymore. Don't abide in what is false. Don't abide in lies. Come abide in the truth. Come enjoy His promise of everlasting eternal life that starts in the moment you turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Come enjoy knowing Him and get ready to live in the truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this moment now, stir every one of our hearts. That in this moment now, Father, we would rejoice in the truth. We pray that your truth would pierce the darkness in the hearts and lives of those who are here who have never known Jesus as Savior and Lord. That the light of your word at work through your spirit would bring conviction of sin, that they would turn away from their sin and run to you and cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. And Father, that you would forgive them, reconcile them, give them everlasting life and move in. Father, we pray for a magnificent work of your spirit in the hearts and lives of everyone here today. Teach us, lead us together to enjoy abiding in the truth. Call us out of lies where we need to be called out of lies. May we rejoice together in the truth of Christ. And enjoy the promise of eternal life. Do in us more than we can ask or imagine. And in this moment now, Lord, increase our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.